Hi, and welcome back to Entrepreneurs Talk Africa, the podcast for African entrepreneurs. I'm Jason Delory, entrepreneur, innovation strategist, mentor, and podcaster. And it's my pleasure to be your host today. On this episode, we're continuing our growth and progression series, welcoming back Madhvi Muthu from Bees With Stories, who we interviewed back in 2021, almost two years back now, time flies. Her episode covering the inspiring journey of Bees With Stories has been one of our top picks. The episode was a roller coaster of emotions and outlining some of the challenges Madhvi faced introducing her African product into the European market. So today we're back to hear how the Bees With Stories journey has evolved. Welcome back and thank you so much for being on the show. Madhvi, how are you doing today? I am doing perfectly fine. Um, hi, everyone. So, Jason, thank you for having us back on the show. Uh, always pleasure. happy to talk about Bees with Stories and our our work so far. So, And for, for some of those um, listeners who, who haven't caught your episode, we recommend that you go back and listen to it. Uh, but maybe uh, do you want to give a quick intro about yourself and also uh, Bees with Stories? So Manvi Muthu, uh, Mauritian, born and raised. Uh, I, ha- I train as an economist and with a specialization in social policy and development. So I've been working since, you know, I graduated as a development practitioner. I work exclusively on the African continent. That's where home is for me. And um, in 2016, came across this idea for Bees with Stories, but it's only, uh, you know, I did some research and it's only in early 2018 that I decided to go ahead and start the project myself. So we are now five years old. Uh, we wow. turned five in January, January of this year. And yeah, it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride so far, but I've loved every minute of it. <laughs> That's amazing. And so, so glad to hear that you still have that energy and optimism um, that we saw two years ago. And yeah, congratulations to to you and the company. Five years, you know, as we know, a lot of startups, um, you know, fall off the cliff uh, during those first one, first year or two. Uh, so a great sign already. Um, but Thank you. Uh, since our last catch up, it's interesting to hear how is the, the company developed and, and what have been the major challenges or, or milestones you've experienced uh, th- through this? So, luck, well, we, as you know, we launch, um, if you've listened to the first episode, we launch in the product itself in September mm-hmm. of 2019, which was like, you know, shortly followed by like a two-year-plus pandemic. So, you know, uh, it was a tough time, but we didn't go bust, So, which was a good thing. We managed to pull through. And during that time, I was actually um, in Kenya during the entire lockdown. I couldn't come home because Mauritius like, was closed. So I used that time and started working on the project, like developing the project for the Kenyan market. So... I'm happy to report back that we are now working in Kenya. We signed late last year an MOU with a network of 800 plus beekeepers. And we are currently in discussion with um, a few supermarket chains uh, to supply supply them and sell um, nationwide there. So this is in the works. 
Um, since then, uh, so in September 2021, when we had our first discussion, we were we had just installed our hives in Mauritius, and we were still training our beekeepers. So since then, we've had a couple of harvests in the local market. We started selling our local honey in Mauritius and also bringing in um, honey from Madagascar from our project in Madagascar. So whenever we do not have um, local honey, we are still able to like sell so that we have like throughout the year, we have a good stock of, um, you know, of honey that we can supply. Um, we in Mauritius, we're still discussing. It's been hard, like trying to get into supermarkets. Like you know, we are very, we're very small, and um, supermarkets are not keen on taking like small like players. They would rather go through bigger distributors. Mm -hmm. So we're still struggling on that front. But um, in the meantime, we're doing markets, and we have a few smaller fine food gourmet shops that have uh, you know given us a shot, and we we've been doing that so far. Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. And also, um, you, you mentioned there. I think there's this saying, and uh, you know, a little bit controversial sometimes, but uh, never let a good crisis go to waste. And I think uh, in the meaning of that is basically uh, being able to take something that happens and turn it into an opportunity or an advantage. Yeah. Definitely sounds like you you used your time in Kenya really well uh, to make sure that it was a benefit to you rather than a hindrance not being mm -hmm. able uh, to get back. So definitely a point there for, for some entrepreneurs uh, listening about how you can you change those um, situations. It's about how you perceive them. And yeah, amazing that you were able to secure those uh, during COVID and, and, and your time there. You. Um, and, and you also speak about being involved in different African countries. Uh, it would be mm -hmm. interesting to hear how your perception of the ecosystem in, this, in the sense of entrepreneur ecosystem around those countries has developed in the past two years. Do you think it's significantly different um, due to the pandemic or as we come mm -hmm. out of it? I think the African, well, the ecosystem for entrepreneurs has always been really dynamic. And I was based in East Africa, where mm -hmm. there is, you know, like it's bursting with energy. Yeah. Yeah, there's all these young people looking to do something, to innovate, to like own their own business. And, uh, you know, there's a push for that. So mm -hmm. I think that's only gotten better. There's um, the ecosystem is very conducive for that. Uh significantly more than the Mauritian setting. I think the mindset around entrepreneurship is also very different, very go-getter mentality. Like that exists. Like in Kenya, it's a thing. Um, and I think that's probably one of the things I like most about being there is the ecosystem caters for like smaller players, allows you to be a smaller player. And then... Uh, again, uh, there is also the opportunity to grow. So if you look at um, certain countries in Africa, like Kenya, uh, Egypt, Nigeria, South Africa, they attract a lot of like investment. Yeah. Like VC money is big in those countries just because this is where it's booming and this is where everybody wants to be. So you don't only have entrepreneurs like from these countries, but you also have outside players coming in and wanting like a share of the pie. So um, it's a very dynamic place. And the landscape is big enough that there's 
space for a lot of players still. It's mm. not saturated. So yeah, it's great. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting, and and also comparing you know the different ecosystems and how they encourage uh, you know entrepreneurship as well as culturally, not just uh, mm -hmm. in in terms of. Uh, policies, but culturally as well. Um, one question I was interested to ask, um, and, and this is, you know, personally, uh, just uh, I was being curious about a lot of these incubators, a lot of these support organizations are really geared to the tech industry, to digital assets. And even after COVID, you know, with AI, blockchain, all of these buzzwords that go around in the tech industry, this is really where the VCs focus and, you know, they talk about scalability. So how has someone like you, and there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there in Africa who deal with physical products, you know, firstly, how do you approach that? Is it an ecosystem still geared towards yourself? And then secondly, how do you incorporate digital or uh, technology to aid your, your physical product? So, um, I don't think that's that has changed that much. VC money, investor money, like is still very much focused on the tech world. If you mm -hmm. see all the money that's being raised in Africa, most of it is geared towards like fintech or like, like some sort of tech innovation, blockchain, and all of that. Um, Initially, when I designed these weave stories, it was not to implement myself. I was submitting it so that it would get funding and be uh, implemented by a different agency. So what I realized after a whole year of knocking on doors was uh, all these agencies were, you know, like more interested in the buzzwords. And at the time it was AI, blockchain, drone. Drone was really big when I started this. So I'm like, I'm working with bees. We can't add drones to bees. What are you doing? So at some point I'm like, the like the development world like i mean it's it's my line of work it's my sector so i know they tend to piggyback on whatever is very in very in you know it's like the the thing of the moment so i'm like okay this is what they're going for so let me just figure out how to make this happen on my own and this is why i decided to invest my own like personal funds in this and like i did it by myself uh, yeah. I don't think, I think there's a bit more interest in the agri sector mm -hmm. uh, these days. I think following um, all these issues that were highlighted during COVID with food security, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of government, a lot of um, development agencies like have sh started like showing more interest in investing in agriculture. But again, um, you have to fit their narrative. And Beekeeping is not a high-tech um, sector. It won't be just because the way we do beekeeping in Africa is still very traditional. So moving to a high-tech setup, which they are working on in European countries, they are trying to innovate and use more technology in their beekeeping, makes no sense for us financially because if you want to do it at commercial level it will require so much investment that it makes no sense to our farmers so if you are in a, in a country where you know beekeeping is very costly like a hive is costly like the maintenance is costly then maybe finding another solution which is a digital like setup might make sense but in the african setting 
our beekeepers, you know, they do it on the side. It's a side gig. It's not like their main job. It's mm -hmm. a very, I would say, low cost investment. So as of right now, it makes no sense to us. So we're not even exploring that. And, and do you think that's hindered, hindered you in terms of raising capital? Or um, do you feel that you're being left out of that aspect in the sense that more should be done by the governments to support it? Um, uh, well, I want to know because I've never tried to raise capital. Well, that's uh, that's an amazing uh, an amazing thing to be able to say as a startup, which is great, and still being able to uh, you know push that. And as you said, you 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 didn't go bust during that time through COVID. Um, and I believe one of your your advices uh, in, in the previous episode was about making sure you had enough savings and and had yep. enough uh, of a kitty to do that. And it looks like mm -hmm. you took your own advice there and were able to yeah. ride the storm and come out of it. So also, uh, you know, really commendable to to be able to Thank focus you. inwards rather than outwards to make sure that you, you get through that. Um, but surviving the past two years has been, of course, a challenge. Um, interesting to know what has been the biggest challenge for you uh, in terms of what is the biggest thing that you've had to overcome in the past two years? Um, I think what we are facing right now, so like the, the biggest challenge we've had, like, and it was quite recent, uh, we'd had, we, we have an apiary in Mauritius and mm -hmm. we, are, we, we had our hives were stolen. So security is a big thing when you do beekeeping. Even though we have security on site, uh, we still, man, you know, like manage to get robbed. And that's like a, a recurrent issue that beekeepers face in Mauritius. So we've like we've tried to tighten our security, put more cameras. But again, um, there's so much you can do, you know, mm -hmm. as, as as much as you try to, you know, grow in your expertise, Thieves do the yeah. same and, you know, they, are, they become really good at, you know, maneuvering yeah. like through whatever you put in place. So that's been like a big challenge. And the second one, I mean, not and again, you've got all the weather conditions that affect mm. you. Um, so that like in Madagascar, we had like floods, like cyclones, cyclones, all of that back to back. So last year we did not harvest at all. We, we lost a whole year of stock. Because we, I mean, not only did we, not, like, we lost the colonies, but we also had very weakened colonies. So like, mm -hmm. for those that were still left, we decided not to harvest and give them time to like, grow stronger. So we try to pr practice what we call sustainable beekeeping. So mm -hmm. we don't harvest all the time. We don't harvest everything. We, we want our bees to like be like strong and healthy. Mm -hmm. So... We've had to do that. We've also had um, one of the biggest like challenge we've had is getting access to the bigger um, outlets. So, you know, getting, we can sell in a small shop, like, and these are consistent, very good uh, outlets, but they don't sell volume. And when we are, when you're building a project like mine, uh, the whole model is based on um, doing volume. So it's only financially viable for me to keep doing this if I can go big. Yeah. 
it's like the beekeepers are never at risk. So in this whole model, like I'm the only one who's ever at risk. So I take like my company is the one that takes like on boards all the risk for them. So they don't like they get paid early, they get paid on time, but we um, take on all of that. So if we don't like, get outlets to sell, uh, I'm the one taking the hit. If we take long a long time, I have the cash flow problem. Yeah. So, but again, like I said, if we go big, we will find. Yeah. So it's it's that scaling. It's that um, mm-hmm. that aim to to get bigger and bigger to to make it uh, the you know the economics more viable. Which I yeah. I think you know in different ways is very similar to to a lot of startups out there. You know, it's that mm-hmm. hard grind to get to the scale in order to make it uh, viable. Um, and during that journey, you know, it, it, it can get very difficult. But of yeah. course, with the challenges, I'm sure you've, you've had your successes uh, in the past two years. Uh, what do you think has been the biggest milestone success for you uh, in terms of for, for Bees with Stories? What are you most proud of that's, that you've achieved in the past two, two years? Mm, so one of the honey that we brought to the UK was uh, a finalist in the Best of Organic Market. Oh, in wow. 2021 so and we are the only one who carries that in the uk market so you know it was very Fantastic. it was very nice to have like experts like from the food industry highlight that and like and for us to be a finalist um another thing that we did last year was um cornell university has a program called mm-hmm. like smart and we were selected to be part of their case study and it's basically an interdisciplinary program where graduate students get together and work on a project and they are meant to like give you advice and recommendations on like how to improve improve your projects and um the recommendation that we got was that we needed to keep doing what we're doing which was pretty good wow (laughs) um also another thing oh earlier no june in june of last year uh, I was invited to be part of the Swedish team to judge um, in an international competition as a honey expert. So uh, I train as a honey sensory expert. I'm the only one in Africa. So it was wow. really nice like to, you know, to have an African be invited on that platform because yeah. usually we are not. So it's a very Eurocentric circle. And um, to be invited and, uh, you know, and to learn because there's a lot of learning happening from the other judges because they have mm-hmm. more, more experience. That was a really good um, and cool ex- experience. Uh, that sounds amazing. And um, if you. I'm not mistaken, uh, the, the 2021, uh, that was the year where you had the issue with suppliers. So you had to get um, one of your suppliers to bring the honey on the uh, on a plane in his yes. Yes. and you still won the award so i mean congratulations to you guys and and the work you've done so far and the rec- uh, recognition and i think that's part of what Thank keeps you. us going uh in terms of you know sometimes entrepreneurship's a little hard so all those little bits of recognition are well deserved and uh and definitely keep keep us going so thank you uh, one of the, the the key elements of of this series is also talking about the growth of the company and one of the things uh, we, we like to highlight from each of the, the interviews we have is the largest growth lever that you feel you've had 
uh, in your company in the past two years. So basically, you know, what is that one thing you point to to say um, that is the thing that brought me X amount of growth or that allowed me to enter this amount of retailers? Or uh, do you have one of those growth levers? Do you have, uh, could you narrow it down to one? No, I think we're not. I mean, mostly because I don't think we're there yet. Um, But the personal aspect that Mm -hmm. we we bring to the project has been like a key to success. Um, You know, like being able to talk about the project, like getting people to be involved, making it very personal um, has been, you know, like a huge like factor. Um, Since 2021, we've been doing markets a lot. So in the UK um, and in Mauritius and telling people about the project, about, you know, what, you know, the background of like the beekeepers, like, you know, who they are helping, who the purchase is helping. That's been like key and other, you know, the personal touch has really made the difference. And I've seen it like when, when I'll be tired and I'll just like be like, oh, would you like to taste our honey? And then when you actually like tell a little bit more about the story, people are more compelled to like listen. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, well, you know what? I may not even like honey, but I like the project. So I'll, I'll buy some. So that's been really yeah. good. And what also, because it's a physical project, like it's a good um, tasting has done wonders for us uh, because the quality of our product is really good. Uh, when people taste, they come back. So, uh, and I guess it works for all, most food products and this is how it works. But like having, like I would say over 70% of people that buy our honey now are people that have tasted and they're returning mm-hmm. customers, which is really good. Like for the numbers, like 70% yeah. or plus is really good. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, super, super amazing. and. Um, I, I really like that personal touch. I think in a lot of companies now moving forward, we we tend to also focus a lot on like if you can look at it in marketing, the digital marketing side. We look at you know all of these different areas. Like even when they're talking about smart cities, and, and we lose a lot of the personal element. You know, yeah. the person itself is not put at the forefront. And I think that is key to develop that relationship, particularly at the beginning with your customer, is having that personal element. Uh, and then, mm-hmm. like you say, uh, getting the product into the hands of the people in order to, to use that as your lever for, for uh, you know, converting them to customers and repeat customers, yeah. which, is, which is testament to, to the quality of your honey, mm-hmm. which I'm uh, happy to say I did try. Uh, and you I did? Loved it. Yes, I have tried it. Okay. Uh, so so um, I, I'm... I still think I have a, a jar uh, in the cupboard, so I am definitely okay. going to to have some tonight. Um, but Glad yes, <laughs> in, yes, it, it is working. Uh, like you said, uh, it is working, and it the markets are a great way. But as we approach the close of the episode, uh, one of the the things that we like uh, to encourage, uh, and you mentioned it earlier about you know the culturally uh, how entrepreneurship is viewed, and even in Mauritius. Um, is basically sharing uh, advice and and giving uh, young entrepreneurs and the next generation, you know, that 
those pointers to say, yeah, it's possible. Um, you know, if we can do it, you can do it. Um, so I know last time you you gave the advice about your money pot, making sure that you've you've made the planning to to outlast the winter, as you say. Uh, but uh, this year, uh, what do you think would be your one piece of advice to aspiring entrepreneurs out there? And I think that applies throughout. But I, you know, when you when you are a startup or when you're just like, still like in the like, idea phase, uh, if you speak to people, you will hear, you will get the opinions of everybody. Um, so I think one thing you need to learn is to know the difference between what is noise and what is real advice. Um, everyone will have something to say about how you should do things. Um, so it's up to you to learn to tune out the superfluous chit chat and tune into the people who have valuable experience and tips for you. So that requires you to assess the person who's giving you advice, that person's background, their expertise, and how that might apply to you and your business. And I think that the last piece of advice, and I think that's key to like being an entrepreneur, is to enjoy the ride. I've seen other entrepreneurs like have such a hard time because they're so focused on the end goal and everything along the way is such a hurdle to them and it stresses them out. They don't live it well and it will, you will just end up being exhausted by it uh, because if every little hurdle is like you face it with so much stress, it's not going to help. Um, I've, I enjoy the ride. I enjoy everything that I do in my project, the, the, you know, the ups and the downs, like it's all part of it. I just view the whole thing as one big, you know, one big story and it goes up and down and it's all part of it. So I, I don't struggle with it at all. Wow. Um, some, some great advice, I think. And, uh, we, you know, it's been a pleasure to see your enthusiasm and, and all of that come through, not only in, in you, but also in your company and your product. And I think, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the ways you connect with people. And also um, one of the ways as entrepreneurs, we stay resilient because <laughs> uh, yes. if, if you're not, if you get knocked down, you know, we know that there, there's going to be that, the, the, the success after or or we know the journey and story is continuing. So I think that's so true and uh, enjoy the ride. I don't think we can say it better. So on behalf of uh, our listeners and Entrepreneurs Talk Africa, I just want to say thank you so much for, for being on the show. Uh, always, uh, always love having you on the show and we look forward to hearing from you soon, maybe in the next two yes. years. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Entrepreneurs Talk Africa, the podcast for African entrepreneurs. Please take a moment to uh, give us five stars on your usual podcast app. It really helps us grow. But for now, stay innovative, stay creative and enjoy the ride.